Welcome to the Spiritual Geek Out Podcast. I'm your host, Diane Hudock, where we have fun talking about the phenomenal and the fascinating. From angels to energy healing, from mystical places to mystical teachings, this is a place where we nerd out on the science of the soul. My guest today is Robert Waterman, who has been a spiritual teacher for over 50 years, teaching classes in the United States and Europe. His introduction was an early interest in spirituality and religion and experiences of the spiritual worlds and out-of-body travel. He spent two years participating in the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, working in community organization and political education in the South. And then he met two of his teachers that changed his life forever. Neva Dell Hunter, a doctor of divinity, an old school foundational teacher specializing in reincarnation and practical metaphysics. And then John Roger Hinkins, doctor of spiritual science, a sound current master and guide into soul transcendence. Robert Waterman is a licensed medical health counselor in New Mexico. He's also a minister and an educator and founder, president emeritus, and current faculty of Southwestern College in New Mexico, which is a spiritually oriented graduate school for counselors and art therapists. He has a doctorate in education and counseling and a master's in sociology. And he is an exquisite author of Power of Love, The Ways and Means, Eyes Made of Soul, Theory and Practice of Noetic Balancing, Footprints of Eternity, Ancient Mysteries Applied to Modern Therapy, Mandala of the Soul, A Spiritual Approach to the Art of Archetypal Psychology, and of course, his latest work, Transcendental Leadership, We Bring Love. He's come on the podcast today to talk about this and many other things that I feel will just expand your world, your consciousness, and perhaps most importantly, your heart. I hope you enjoy. Robert Waterman, thank you so much for being on this podcast. I have to tell you, I'm a bit giddy because I think of what you say in one of your books, how when you get together with another colleague of yours in your individual silos and you form one great silo, that you have this sense that your IQ is rising up. And I have to say, reading your books, I feel like this sense that my IQ is rising up. <laughs> well, good. <laughs> And my brain is exploding a little bit in the best sense of the word. But um, so just thank you for these exquisite works. Um, today, I'd love to go into and talk a bit about your latest work, which I just read, Transcendental Leadership. And we'll touch a bit upon the noetic sciences, the noetic healing that you are so well versed in from um, uh, Eyes Made of Soul and anything else that you feel is potent and, and worthy of conversation. So 
Um, I thought I'd start out and I have a lot of questions to ask you. So I'm just going to um, say, forgive me ahead of time, because it's a stack of questions. <laughs> and when I told some people that I'd be having you on the podcast, uh, fellow people from uh, MSIA and fellow students and fellow practitioners who work in the field, they wanted me to ask you some very particular questions. <laughs> Get ready. <laughs> uh, but I, I'd like to start out with a quote from your earlier book, uh, Eyes May of Soul, where you bring forth a subject I greatly relate to, um, which is the student's mind. And you talk about the aim of deconstructing our sedimented belief systems. And I'm just going to read from your book here. So you say Edmund Husserl is the father of phenomenology. He mastered student's mind. He was interested in developing a science of philosophy. And he discovered that by deconstructing the sedimented beliefs attached to a given phenomenon or thing, his perception became altered and he found himself in a state of transcendental awareness. He concluded that the structure of reality was the relationship of intentionality, archetype, and form or belief or physical structure. And my questions are, first of all, what exactly is the study of phenomenology? I've never heard of that before. I think I get it, but I'd love to hear what you have to say about that as Edmund Husserl brought forth into being. And my second question is, could you expand on the power of living in the student's mind. And when we say that we know something, we are actually blocking ourselves spiritually. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Take your time. <laughs> what a thing to start out with. Um, it is a spiritual geek out podcast. Uh well, Edmund Herschel is a little bit on the academic side of this, in a way, but uh, he he um, he wanted to develop a um, a way of discovery um, through the the phenomena of what exists, okay. rather than putting a form on it or breaking it up so so his um you know he's pretty pretty well known in philosophical i guess he never took that course in college but anyway uh so so he in his in his work with it uh he discovered this that technique okay. and it reminded me of um when i read that uh, this is something you know, from way back in the 60s for me. But when I read that, it reminded me of my experience in the uh, sensory deprivation experiment I was in. Yeah. In which they put us in a room without any light or sound for three days. And um, 
my experience through that where just that um, removing those those senses started uh, deconstructing my perception. And so what seemed like um, a dark space opened up into another dimension, a mm. higher dimension where the first layer of that was a reality in which uh, light emanated from things mm-hmm. and uh, instead of reflecting off of them. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, Herschel was essentially talking about that when you, when you take the projected structure off. See, you know, there's, um, we, we, in our, uh, you know, there's a lot of research with this where, where people, um, you know, they, they project onto, and they're trying to make meaning out of something, they'll yeah. project onto it. In fact, if their space is missing, they'll fill them in uh, with their own data to make sense out of something. Mm-hmm. You know, so 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 there's this kind of flow of perception to us in which we're not only looking at what's there, but shaping what's there. Mm-hmm. You know, the, in in uh, people have gotten this different ways, like like the observer effect, where our observation affects what, what we're observing. Right. So 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 Herschel wanted to like handle that variable. Where, where, where he could uh, put himself in a state of consciousness where the object itself revealed its essence, mm-hmm. like what it was. And, and uh, in, um, in the Transcendental Leadership book, I talk about uh, George Washington Carver, who, who uh, the black scientist from the South in the late 18 and 1900s, where, where he would approach something in his pure loving like a plant and it would reveal to him uh its purpose yeah its existence what it was for so then he could go to the laboratory and 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 turn that into products (laughs) so so it's that it's that kind of relationship so one of the ways that one of the things that comes up over and over again in our in our spiritual work is being uh, John Roger talked about this uh, is being present with what is mm-hmm. and see what you notice. Mm-hmm. And out of that, you get the lead or cue as to what's really going on. Mm-hmm. So it's a really simple, it's a, or in a sense, it's our, our most simple relationship with meeting life. Yeah. It, and so we have to take our filters off to be present. Because we're, we're we're so easily we're, we're tied into so much, yeah. even the sense even the sense of who we are, it's like what what would happen if we started deconstructing that this were you and I having a, a dialogue, See? right, right, and, and what what starts appearing from that? Well, our souls emerge. Mm-hmm. See, so like in in counseling or therapy or the balancing, in a sense we're or in Quimby's idea of healing, we're, we're, we're deconstructing uh, what we believe is. Mm-hmm. And so, so, so we're not knowing we can see what is or experience. We experience what is. Beautiful. 
you talk about noetic balancing, and I know you have a lot of experience in that. For those that are listening and they have no idea what that is, can you just explain what noetic balancing is? And um, did you learn it from Vivian? Uh, no. Uh, we well, it's a it's, it's a little more complex than that. Back in the day, yeah, <laughs> yeah with, with this group in the of, beginning. <laughs> with this group of students around Dr. Hunter. Yeah. Uh, her, her, her spiritual teacher was, well, identified himself as Phineas Parker's Quimby, but it was as Dr. Gordon, but it was Phineas Parker's Quimby, okay. the New England healer uh, who developed the science of the Christ as a form of healing. And his, his essential, uh, he was actually a, 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 a clockmaker in New England. In the in the middle of nineteen century, and and so he got tuberculosis or consumption they called it, and uh, part of the prescription was well be careful of yourself and get out in the air and so he was driving his buggy in the country and something frightened the horse and it ran. By the time he got it back under control, his consumption was gone. That was a quick, fast deconstruction, I guess. And so <laughs> okay. he got very curious. Yeah. So after looking at hypnotism and a lot of other things and working with uh, clients that came to him, uh, he had this very simple procedure that uh, he worked with. One was the complete understanding that uh, the, the Christ exists within everyone. And that uh, when you remove the distorted belief patterns or deconstruct those, that that Christ emerges as a healing energy. So he would uh, sit with the client, be present with what is, and uh, uh, introduce to them this perspective. And work with the beliefs that were limiting them and blocking them. And then he would sit with them silently and allow this energy of presence uh, or the Christ uh, to, to have his way. Mm-hmm. And uh, that would be his healing approach. So, so this is the being that was Dr. Hunter's primary challenge. So at some point he introduced that to the group. And there was a individual called John Clark McDougal that um, was uh, working with Dr. Hunter at that time. And uh, in a in one of the sessions, he suggested to John Clark that he take his keychain, which is a pendulum, and work on the energy field around us. And uh, so, so he did, and they started exploring that. And Ella Vivian was in part of that exploration, and and she wrote the Auric Mirror, which was is the first uh, book that re- explains uh, this this approach. So, so essentially, in our in our spiritual anatomy, there's a flow of energy through us. It comes in from above and below, goes out through our field into life, and then reflects back to us. So in a pure state, that would just reflect the Christ. Mm-hmm. 
but we make up all this stuff in those beliefs structure or program how this energy flows through us through and creates our perception of the world. Mm-hmm. And most of those beliefs are within, I find they're within arm's reach. Mm-hmm. Words, that's our personal unconscious. That's our personal feel. So uh, as we say, we uh, have a traumatic experience and, and respond to that and, and decide something. And that creates a thought form in our field, which is both in our percept. We're looking through it, but it's also structuring um, how that energy moves. Mm-hmm. So when the energy comes to us, it goes out in, into into life, and life life picks that up. Life mm-hmm. sees that, picks that up, and then reflects back to us, consistent with that distortion. Mm-hmm. So so we move to the, can move to the field and engage these blocks and through self-forgiveness and get a focus of the energy and and presence. Mm -hmm. Uh, These areas are balanced. And and so the individual's field is brought back into a more uh, harmonious and congruent flow uh, of energy. Mm -hmm. And so that clears up their perception, clears up how life sees them, and clears up how, how they communicate with themselves within themselves. Mm-hmm. Oh, thank you. As you're talking, I, I can't help but just say, God, this everything you're sharing is what uh, another way of describing biofield healing, which is something I do in my life with, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people. And you keep finding the same thing. And people, as human beings, as we do, we share, um, we hold, I should say, stuff in the same areas. We we have the same sort of ways of, of um, glomming onto things, of calcifying things, of creating perturbations in the same areas, in the same places, and so on and so forth. And as you say in your book, this space around us is that space of the unconscious. And mm-hmm. so I was just having someone earlier today, and, uh, and she's like, why is it I don't remember any of these things? And you know, why is it I remember the really bad stuff, but when we're going through these perturbations and clearing them, they're like things that I completely forgot about, or I didn't even know they existed or that they were affecting me. And uh, I say, because it's in your unconscious, you know, there, we're so, we're, we're so um, complex, but yet simple in the same way that we, we find ways to, um, as a form of survival to just uh, not open up Pandora's box so that we can survive. If we open up all those little sort of firecrackers or those little, you know, um, perturbations, hur- hurricanes, whatever you want to call it, earthquakes of moments, traumatic experiences, mm-hmm. it's too much for our nervous system to handle. You know, it, it, it takes a while to, to, um, to get to the place where we can open to that. If it was opened up all at once, we, yeah, like we'd go nuts. Right. Self-combust. Because we, we don't have a strong enough uh, uh, identity. Yeah. And, and often our identity is based on, uh, on some of those b- beliefs. And so it's, it's fragile or distorted. So when that stuff comes up, we can't hold our center. Right. See? Yeah. So, so the the basic thing, the way I look at it, that we, after working with this all these years, is the essential forgetting, is we forget 
who we are and what we bring as a soul. Mm-hmm. So the first perturbation comes from when we incarnate, we get into the field of our parents and identify with that. Okay, yeah. And that becomes a, the seed of our personality. And we forget that we're a soul that came to bring love. Yeah. Classic. And so, yeah. And, and so until we remember that, till we get to that first perturbation and remember that, oh, I'm the one that brings love and change the seed of mm-hmm. our personality. So, so every one of these things is really uh, when we do self-forgiveness or you clear something, the person becomes conscious of it. They're remembering who they are in that particular instance. Mm-hmm. So, uh, that's why I talk about um, God's will as being uh, love will have its way. Yeah, so, I love that. So, it's always working through us. And, and um, when we remember who we are, we move into that flow. Yeah. And so, when we start remembering at that depth, then all the stuff can come up because we have the kind of center that's in this world, but not of it. So it doesn't throw us off center. In fact, the more stuff that comes up, the the stronger we become in our center. So that's a a growth process. It was a person ready to break open the the unconscious and resolve some of these deeper issues, some of which they inherit, some of which they made up, some of which they bring through from other lives. I, 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 I want to go back to that love having its way. I think there's so much there to talk about, but in terms of what you just shared and talking about the Christ moving through, and also for those listening that don't necessarily um, have an understanding of what Christ consciousness is, or they hear those words and based on their upbringing or their experience or their conditioning, they hear a sort of religiosity behind that. I would love for you to just explain um, what is Christ consciousness and, and how it goes beyond any sense of dogmatic idea and religiosity and how it can apply to all souls. You can be Jewish and have Christ consciousness. You can be Muslim and have Christ consciousness. How it goes beyond those sort of labels. Yeah, and then different lineages have different words they put around it. But yeah. so, so essentially, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a soul awareness, very much so. But it's the... Um, it's, it's like an evolutionary archetype. It's a... It's it's a it's a uh, a structure within us and a presence within us that is um, the pattern on which the soul develops. Okay. So it has different aspects of life that it develops, like you know, will, understanding, uh, letting go, uh, wisdom. All these are aspects of that. Christ that come uh, through the process of, of life. So, so our trials and tribulations are part of this process of um, developing those different aspects of the Christ as that essential uh, pattern for our evolution. And, and so in that evolutionary arc, uh, we increasingly identify with that 
And as we identify with that, we can we can then receive the the, the cosmic pattern of this uh, Christ energy, which is so it's uh, it implies that uh, we have agency of divine love. We have. It was we have this, we have the agency of God within us, yeah. and so the Christ is God's agency within humanity, and so Jesus incarnated with this, anchored it into our unconscious, demonstrated how it could do, and spoke about it in the best way he could of the language of the time. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, so this lineage of energy and wisdom is passed on. Well, even by the time the disciples got hold of it, they were making sense out of it best they could. Mm-hmm. And they tried to write stuff back, write stuff down as best they could. And then people later pick it up that unless you have the perception of that consciousness and, and read about it, you, you don't get it. Mm-hmm. See, so, so well, we're all trying to understand what this means. Everyone is, even the ones that kind of get it. <laughs> <laughs> See, yeah. because of the uh, of the of the depth of it and in the prof- profoundness of it. So, so um, it it kind of as it went down through the generations, and and. Uh, people took authority in it and did best they could. They, they make up this religion or this dogma. And, and so it gets out here. It becomes a political process. And then they, they don't realize that they're, lo- they're looking at it through an ego that's forgotten the Christ within them. So, so there's this uh, lack, this emptiness starts to evolve. And that is experienced as fear. Mm-hmm. So, so they start trying to manage the fear with this philosophy of that was based on the essence of love within humanity and the expression of that. So once it goes fear-based, the soul's out of the picture. So then they have, they said, so they sent, we sense that someplace inside. So then we go about trying to save souls instead of waking up to our soul so it can save us. Mm, beautifully said. Yeah. <laughs> so, so uh, in that, you know, when you see this in people, though, this awakening process, they can go through a, a dogmatic religion and, and, and it puts the authority and power outside of them in, in a peace priesthood or in a in a dogma or in a certain practice or you or got to do this and at some point that doesn't work for you mm-hmm. just like any belief and so you you, you uh, look for something deeper and you try out new things and then you move forward and so you can see it in, it's like when you look out in the culture today you can see both are happening the, the retrograde where people are grabbing on tighter yeah, because things are deconstructing fast, and there's other people that were pretty close to this. They just hadn't identified it. So this world, their world deconstruct, 
they just go deeper with it and their soul starts to wake up. Mm-hmm. And so you see people coming through with profound things uh, or, or genius kids coming in the world or philanthropic endeavors occurring uh, at the same time. So you see both of those mm-hmm. going on. But if you look within both, you'll see that uh, underlying uh, uh, process of human evolution attempting to find meaning, attempting to find safety, nurture and within both. Mm. Wow. Well, this brings me perhaps to a great segue where you talk about in your latest work about this thing you called access and to access as a means of connecting to source and ultimately the keys of heaven or the keys to heaven and understanding there is a whole lot of information here when we talk about the levels. Um, can you go into a bit about these levels of access which align us to our higher self and connect um, or comment, I should say, on where you feel lies the greatest opportunity um, for access collectively on these levels? Gratitude. Mm. Okay. If, if everything came your way that you responded to and had to work with, your approach in gratitude, you would awaken to the loving. So is that the missing ingredient right now for most of us? It's just if we can all collectively awaken to gratitude, then these acts, the access to these keys of heaven would flood in more readily? Well, I'll hopefully find out. But see, I look at the uh, the pandemic as a, an intelligence that's forcing another step in human evolution. Yeah. Because the only thing that ultimately works is taking care of each other, an attitude of uh, a heartfelt attitude of either of taking care of yourself, of taking care of others, thinking in terms of, of uh, the whole. Mm-hmm. And we see both going on where there's a reaction to a simple thing like um, even you know, people are on their deathbed not believing it, they even have it. See? Yeah. And But when you lose uh, someone who's close to you, you you understand how much you cared about them. Mm-hmm. That you move into your gratitude for them. Mm. Well, this, I mean, this brings us, circles us back to how you mentioned in your book, Love Will Have Its Way. Mm-hmm. And I, I could just flat out maybe ask you, well, how does love ultimately have its way with us? And and I and uh, and maybe that leads me to the next consideration, which you seed for the readers. I, and I, it's one of my favorite considerations in your book, where you say, "Do we commandeer each small thing for self-importance, or do we do it for love?" Yeah, yeah. Because see, see, the, everything out here that we do is fine. 
it's how you engage it. Yeah. Like when we, when we come to the place that my essential being and motive in this life is to bring love. As soon as you engage anything with that field, it changes the whole process. It's like plugs it into a, a different circuit <clears throat> where, where if you think you come to bring fame to yourself or wealth or safety or dominance or you know, self-importance, you're coming from a place of lack. So you, you engage the same protocols in a self-serving way, either to serve, you know, so to get your energy, you either have to victimize others or be a victim. Yeah. See? Is, is, um, well, before I ask this question, it, it, I'm thinking of this woman who talked a bit about, and I can't remember her name in the moment, but she talks about frequency and she talks about the frequency of things like hate, the frequency of worry, the frequency of love. Yeah, yeah. The of peace, right? And of course, we know Emoto's work with water and finding these. Right, yeah. <laughs> right. So, so, um, but my question to you, as you're talking about love, what's coming forth inside me is, is peace, as this woman mentions, and I'm sorry, I don't remember her name in the moment, but you can definitely, anybody listening can Google it, um, it, that she mentions that peace is actually a higher frequency than love. And then we think of Christ when he says, peace, be still. He didn't say love, be still. He said, peace, be still. And my question to you is, is peace a higher stage or access than love? Or is, is love really the all ending, all cohesive, primordial thread that takes us wherever we need to go? And if so, into peace is just another expression of the loving. Yeah. So uh, the thing to understand, see, when we say unconditional loving, like, what are we talking about? Yeah. See, like, to me, it's a matter of physics. For, for this universe to be held by one inner cohesive energy, unconditional love supports everything. So, so at the same time, it supports everything. It supports um, everybody's uh, developing agency. Okay. So they they do something that's uh, they forget themselves and move into destruction, exploitation, war, domination, whatever. Well, that those are certain frequencies. But what they do is we've talked about perception earlier they limit the perception. In other words, the more powerful levels of energy cannot be reached into. Okay. Because it's like you're going to, throwing sand is only relevant in the sandbox. So you have to stay in the sandbox. Mm-hmm. See, so, so it's that. So, so when a person, you know, starts to, sometimes they say the greatest peacemaker or is the warrior that's tired of fighting war because they know what that's about. They, they've, they've exhausted that experience and they, they said, this is not the way that shifts the consciousness. 
see so 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 uh that opens us up to greater levels so so I, that's a curious statement this person makes but i i see when i experience going into profound peace that's like a, a doorway yeah that that uh that uh takes me into a deeper dimension like in some ways to have a transcendent soul journey you have to go through that door because if you're conflicted in any way you're not present mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so so peace is that zero point that still plays see? And, and and uh see and that's uh, uh opens an energy well love is very dynamic so it's it's both the structure of reality and it's also the impulse through the agency of the human being through which it knows itself yeah see <sighs> so so um when we talk about love will have its way see well look at that as using a, a shooting pool analogy see love either we either shoot it straight in the pocket for a bank shot or crazy ways of doing stuff that seem destructive and evil that's just a bank shot in other words love still moving through that mm. when i was in the sensory depth that was i was 19 then so it was hard to get back to that kind of peace that opened up the levels of reality to me. So, so peace is that awareness of one's true self in the midst of the chaos. Hmm. As you're talking again, I'm thinking of sort of the very antithesis of, of this as a consideration, just to kind of, chew on for a second because with all the contrast going on right now of people doing things out there in the world that are un considered unjust or the lies that are being projected out into the masses and so on and so forth and my question is and those that are deliberately or just unconsciously um, doing whatever they're doing that is affecting humanity on any level. And my, my question that is really coming forth from inside me is, what is the difference between evil and simply being corrupted as a person? Or is it the same thing? Is if once we're corrupted and living in a way that is for the self and self alone, that has no concern for humanity, doesn't care if this thing or that thing harms another. Is that evil or is that one that is corrupted or is it the same thing? What's the difference, if any? Yeah, you know, um, uh, I look at that question in two levels. Okay. See, it's a philosophical question. So it's a mind question. Right? <laughs> so it's a, it's a mind question. Okay. And a, and it's a very 
beautiful question, but it's a mind question. You can't get there from there. Okay. So you can't, it's like, you can't answer that question. It's a koan, right? Yeah. From, from, the, from the level, from the level of state stated. One of my, Dr. Hunter used to say that, well, what, no, she didn't originate it, but used to say that uh, evil was live spelled backwards. Right. Uh, yes, I say that often. So, so it's a, re, so it's a, a reversal. So the way we uh, generate evil is to go against ourselves. Mm. To invert. Yeah. So when we, the loving comes in and we choose its opposite. Right. We've we initiated. Yeah, we've initiated evil. Now, uh, the um, these things there, there's in the in the structure of reality. There's um, a uh, intelligence that's assigned to keep reality in existence. You could say that that's evil. Hmm. And which is a reflective process, reflects back to us. So, so it feeds our perception. Okay. So, so, um, uh, but at the basic level, it's neutral. <laughs> but, but very powerful. So, in very, very, uh, very seductive in a way, because at that level, but you know, within the cosmic mirror, our consciousness can get hold of that and and be very powerful creators. Mm-hmm. And if if we get onto a addiction or an acceleration from you know, uh, dominating others and having power, uh, we can get pretty well caught up in that. Yeah. And so identified with it that the, we almost lose our capacity to remember who we are. Yes. We, so we, so think that. So, so I, from my perspective, that's, that you could call it, uh, being this an evil being (laughs) but essentially just that on a simple simple level it's just that which uh holds us in a memory of uh believing we're not who we are Mm. okay and so our, our salvation is to so our way out of that you know, in terms of its ability, is to be able to uh, match that in an awake state, and uh, reflect back to it. Hmm. See, most of the time we try to either fix, or argue, or convert, or have a war. Right. Well, that's see, all that does is. You know, reality looks at that and anything we focus on reality and it like well, I'm talking like there's this one intelligent reality. 
that's assigned to giving people whatever they want. And so whatever we focus on, it sees that and say, oh, they want more of that. Mm-hmm. See, so we get caught up in this reversal action that we call evil. And life just says, oh, they want more of that. Yeah. So, so the, the production of evil comes from a neutral ser- energy that's a serving intelligence that's people that's just supporting people's the agency and the consequence of that. Hmm. See? So, so evil comes out of our the immaturity about our agency. We yeah. don't get that. This is this is within us. Right. And, and so so the like the nature nature of our physical the soul comes into this physical existence. The nature of it is to, to survive. And so uh, out of that, we find all ways to survive, live better, solve problems. So, so all the evil force is trying to do is make its own kingdom, <laughs> establish its own principality, to have a better life. And, and if it isn't coming from the loving, it, it of course, lacks compassion. It's, it sees everything in terms of its motives and its needs. Is evil necessary for creation on this planet with the laws of um, creation that correspond to this, this existence? Do, do we need evil to exist here, do you believe? Yeah. Or are we going to mature up, if you will, out of that into a place of... Well, yeah. I guess in... Old yeah. utopia. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, ask God. Anyway, <laughs> ev- evidently, evil's part of the mix. But um, uh, evidently, too, uh, it uh, it can become too much. Like we might say, is so much evil necessary? Okay. Yeah. See, because we forget so much. So we have beings like Jesus or Buddha or whoever comes in and to wake people up, to provide something that they have become so ensconced in their uh, forgetfulness and in their evil that they can't, they can't get at it. There's no way to, they've lost themselves. Well, so this consciousness can remind them. So I would say that's necessary for somebody like Jesus to come because there's been too much evil. Where are we, do you think, on that scale? Or is it simply individual because of like the observer effect? Like what we perceive we create? Well, it's, well, of course, but, but it's like, uh, what's the critical mass to, yeah. to shift the consciousness? Right. Um, you know, there's, there's a, you know, different teachers or speculators. Well, what percentage of people have to wake up to yeah. tip, tip the scale? So they come up with numbers like 5% or 10% or, yeah, that might do it. Uh, 
One time John Rogers said about uh, one of my, my spiritual teacher is that uh, there would be, well, no, also, also it's Dr. Gordon may have said something about this too. The, one of the things that will occur <clears throat> will it be something come along that takes large numbers of people off the planet mm. in order to lighten the load. Yeah. So you can see the pandemic is one of those two that's lightening the load. It's, you know, we not to judge the individuals that die or try to figure out what that's all about. But, 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 uh, you know, some of these people go kicking and screaming because they didn't even believe that COVID exists. Mm -hmm. Well, those are pretty heavy consciousness. Mm -hmm. And so, or the, the, the uh, uh, lingering of it, the hold of the, uh, of the pandemic where it won't let go and shakes, you know, people finally have to like wake up a little more. Mm. See, that's another way for it to be lifted. Like it shakes people until they wake up. Yeah. So, so, so th there's some kind of, in intelligence that uh well it's it there's this time where the planet can move and it's these it's populated by a bunch of really stubborn people you know and so that's like an intelligent response from the uh wholeness the oneness of things that we this people have we got to get them out of their bodies so they can remember who they are. Mm. And then they can do another cycle. So there's a lot of, so, you know, people see death and destruction as death and destruction, but there's no awareness there. That these are, these are eternal souls that don't die with their body. And they come around, they pick it up again and again and again, and eventually they wake up. So uh, right now, everything is converging. And uh, people are trying to get in on the action from, from a soul viewpoint uh, for, for this shift. So, so uh, to me, the chaos of it um, is just an indicator that it's time uh, for things to for things to shift. Mm -hmm. And in that, I guess there's also risk that. Uh, you know, it could go the other way that, that we could like lose it because, uh, yeah, well, yeah. In the sense that enough people don't, don't wake up. Yeah. So in this, it's to me, it's both an individual thing. Like, like a, the only contribution individual made was to wake up to who they really are. That seems like a singular act. But as souls, we're all connected. Mm -hmm. So it's 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 going to have a resonant effect. Then I think of what you say in your book, and I just circle back and go, well, love will have its way. You know, I, I, I've said this a bunch of times in some other podcast episodes because it's just it, it runs me in my life so it it gets repeated <laughs> often and it's something that jr says or said and he would say 
you know, the, 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 the evil or the darkness is working 24 seven, but the light, the light is working like 28, 10, 28, 11. And so it's like, you know, as long as we work the light and work our sovereign beingness, we, we work the work to wake ourselves up that the, the love will have its way. The light will have its way. Yeah. Will it not? Will we ultimately just, it will work itself out. We will, we are ascending. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, in a sense, as an individual, not to worry, but we're also part of a, uh, a collective decision to be uh-huh. here to, together at a certain time. Right. And there is a, a collective Im- impact of, you know, like, you know, we, you're, we're here, here doing this podcast. Well, there's more, there's people starting podcasts about living better, lightning, love, waking up, being transcended. They're almost checking in by the minute. In other words, we know our action, but we don't realize there's other actions yeah. going on uh, in a lot of different kinds of expression. So there's, so it's like, it's beneath the radar. It doesn't get in the news the same way. Like they don't put on the evening news that uh, Sally Smith in the uh, uh, barrio just woke up to God. <laughs> right. They do not. Or, or opened a soup kitchen to feed people and, and put so much love into the soup that these people aren't in poverty anymore. Yeah. You know, that doesn't hit the news. That would be uh, great if they could just uh, open it. Maybe we should start a new network <laughs> on like the real news. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I'm thinking of, you know, the power of our feelings, the power of our feelings to form perceptions and beliefs and our stories and all that. And, and you mention in your book how we can use our feelings as information rather than identity to gain a deeper understanding of our I amness or I am yeah, it's a, authority. Can you talk about that? Cause well, that really well, it's, a, it's a real key. It's very simple. Yeah. You know, uh, our, our, we have this great emotional feeling nature uh, that, uh, you know, gives us life and motivation and, and vitality, but there's this, there's this, uh, it is a, it's a, it's a, it's it's a sensory organ that uh, uh, can probably uh, see see our, our when we use our mind like a will or paying attention and the feeling is information. See the that the feeling is the way we pick up the frequency. Like to know we love, we feel the love, whether it comes in as a download straight from God or from our heart opening to another individual. See, the the thing is in our evolution of that, we identify with those feelings. That's why people get jealous. Jealousy is a good example of people identifying with love and trying to control it and try to control another through it. Where No, it's just love. They try to capture it. See, no, it's just a frequency. Uh, 
So, so when we realize, just realizing that uh, the feelings we have, like we feel bad, we feel good, we feel offended, uh, we, we feel uh, hurt, so we want revenge. So that's all identifying. That's no, that's me. Yeah. See, no, no, you see, uh, GR used to say, if it could be shaken, it's not you. See, see, yeah. So, so when we begin to realize that that they're just information Mm -hmm. that, that sorts, sorts our experience differently into uh, things that used to seem existential like mine, jealousy, I feel bad, I feel good. I'm a hypochondriac. See, that's all practical stuff. So most of the stuff people are going to war over is just a practical issue, but that's been made existential by identifying with your feelings. Mm. So what this sorts out is what's existential is just the presence of your loving. Mm. And then everything else is practical. Even, even, how to preserve our life is a practical thing, not an existential thing. But until we wake up to our soul, our life's an existential thing. We're mm. so identified with body, mind, and relationships and property and degrees and what we hold. Right. So, yeah. yeah. I, I, I'm thinking, as we were discussing, mentioning John Roger, um, he says something that I, a lot of people might disagree with, but I agree with it. And I'd love to hear your thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> and he says, you know, and if, I know you've heard this uh, a lot more than with him a lot longer than I ever have been and could be since he's left the planet in his physical form. Um, but he would say that we don't have free will. We have free choice. And then he'd go on to explain, well, if you think you have free will, go go stand on the roof of your house there and try to fly. Oh, oh, you can't do that? Oh, well, go ahead. Just will it to happen, right? And so, but what we have, what we have is free choice. Do you believe that we have free will? Do you look at it the same as him? Do we have free choice? And is that the most... Um, well, the problem, <laughs> problem with will is we keep turning it into karma. Oh, you're right. Okay. So, so it's free. We can have as much will as we want. <laughs> but what, see, so that brings it back to choice. Okay. See, so through all our conversation, we've been talking about the consequence of choice. Mm. See, the choice for gratitude, the choice to be present. See, the choice to forgive ourselves. See, those are, see, we made one choice and it got us tied up in a, in a belief or a thought form or a, Attitude. See, we, in other words, we chose against ourselves, mm-hmm. created, create evil. Well, we have the agency. Let's forgive ourselves. That's another choice. Mm-hmm. So, in the in the what we we're doing then is converting our consciousness to the will of God, which is love will have its way. Okay. See, so instead of fighting the current, instead of fighting against the will. See, so will's that deeper thing that's this propelling the, the flow of God through itself. Yeah, it all goes the, back to that. Yeah, that we have agency in. So our choice in that. Mm. So then just to kind of 
take it back a notch as these 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 this creates our beliefs how do our beliefs code as energy as uh, you we we take a feeling okay and we decide something about it like i'm unworthy i'm good you hurt me i'm going to get even you owe me See, I'm great. I'm important because I have a PhD. See, those are all just energies, and then there's a choice. So, so it's it's our will that codes. It's our will that codes. Yeah. Okay. And that code has resonance, so it it has access to certain. It associates with certain other similar. Uh, frequencies or codes. So those are ones we're making. And then there's other codes. In other words, that's just a program. Uh, 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 something that's fixed, becomes fixed. And so there's the whole, uh, say, uh, you know, they talk about the archetypes of within the unconscious those are codes too but those they seem to be you know so set patterns that we explore in like we talk about the christ as an archetype or the wanderer as an archetype and where there's certain things within humanity that we seem to all do those have codes as well is there a collective archetype that's at play overriding do you feel right now no. If possible. Well, yeah, they call them signs of the times. See, so so uh, okay. one of the you know, like um, chaos seems to be one of them right now, yeah. which is a disturbance of our codes. Right. See, that's what all what all deconstruction is about, or when we when the things that used to support us no longer support us see there's a deconstruction process so it's 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 decoding people's consciousness and and they they kind of lose their orientation because because they set their compass by those stars are we decoding so that we can encode yeah yeah so yeah so love is a code too right and pure love is just love and then we code it into We'd step it down like uh, uh, we can take love and turn it into jealousy. That's amazing that a human being can do that. So if you want to know about our, our genius, mm. you, you take this unconditional love inside of you that's pure. It's like what a baby wakens in you when you look in its eyes and it laughs at you. You know, you take that and you can actually code that to be jealousy. That's amazing. That's the human beings can do that. Yeah, see. without a doubt. Well, I'm going to just kind of go off on a whole tangent here um, because I'm just I'm just curious your your answer to this. When we talk about um, sacred geometry and we talk about um, as a uh, in the healing arts, we we and in the spiritual sciences, we talk a lot about the tetrahedron, the star tetrahedron. Yeah. 
And, and my question for you is, what and where is the straw tetrahedron? Because we find it around the body in abundance, right? Is it the soul? And, and what is it or, or um, what are the purpose or purposes of the star tetrahedron? Well, it helps things work. How? That's one purpose. <laughs> <laughs> Just like. Well, when, when you just consider it like in a simple idea, there's this central axis. And, and that's the flow of spirit and life through us. We're like this bridge between heaven and earth. Mm-hmm. So, so we're an example of uh, that. And then there's a, a flow of energy that comes in that goes clockwise. And a flow of energy that comes up through creation that's counterclockwise. And and in the in the geometry part, those are uh, the the two to the, the above and below aspect of the tetrahedron, and so they rotate. So that's where that comes from, and uh, so that creates a dynamic uh, communication of energy. It's a it's a force field. Okay. It, it's like the the you know the field around the heart you know is 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 like that so 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 it creates it generates um, a life form and and out of the physics of that uh, this uh, the uh, the body is formed. See the the, the the geometry of the tetrahedron is the same as the DNA, as so it's all the same. So so uh, in a sense, it's a it's a DNA. <laughs> so 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 what is this? So this mediates uh, uh, one of the names for the is it a Merkaba? Oh, Merkaba, right? Yeah. Yeah. See, so it's a it's, it has to do with our essence of our being. Yeah. The light and the environment we're in. Mm-hmm. So, so what it's mediating is the energy of spirit in a certain environment to to make a form. Okay. So, so when we balance the aura, we're really balancing that Merkaba as well. So, so how does it activate? Well, it, it either by waking up to that inner essence of light through us, or by cleaning up the distortions, it'll start spinning properly. It's like anything on that level that it exists on. If it's distorted, it's going to be wacky mm. in, a, in the way it rotates. So as we come into center, there's actually a, we can actually feel that sense down through us of that center and, and feel the, the lift of the, 
movement of these uh, vortex of energy. Yeah. Well, so so everything that exists is going to have a Merkaba. Every sentient being or every anything that came into creation. Anything, everything. Okay. So so I mean people get into that kind of study, you know, look at the Merkaba planets and then Merkaba sand and the, you know, whatever. It's all that. Or the is there one great Merkaba for creation itself? Yes. See, because it has to do with an energy flowing through an axis that generates a force field that allows uh, uh, transcendent energy that's outside of creation to enter into creation and engage uh, life and have a relationship to life. Someone who's not in a mystery school or not, you're hearing this for the first time and they want to work with the Merkaba, Merkaba energy, would it, would it behoove them? Would it help them to just sit and imagine through the power of their will or their imagination in a positive way to sit inside a Merkaba? You mean like- and and it, to to strengthen and their 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 well yeah see any in, any intention the, see the thing, the thing about intention that activates is it both has that what it's after but it's also goes has complete vulnerability okay so so um, uh, a very fast way to activate this is um, imagine it and then take a deep breath and exhale rapidly and see it activate because that's an active active will and, and that's a very mechanical way okay see so there's other ways you can take up square dancing sufi dancing see all these folk dances are activating the merkaba what about the infinity loop because we have infinity loops all over us too. Does that do? Well, well that's just this rhythm of, uh, you know, breathing in and breathing out. We, we, you know, the spirit comes to us, goes out, the life reflects back. And so, like in my biofield tuning, and maybe this is just something I've discovered, but just by default, really, by just doing this over and over and over again and then discovering things as I go and being guided to certain sort of, for lack of a better word, protocols. And I will often now use the infinity symbol with my frequency forks to break up perturbations and it, it works. Yeah. Why, it, why the infinity symbol and not, and sometimes I use a Merkaba symbol but but as of late it's the infinity is there something significant to that is there what is it about that if anything or is it just a simple avenue to break up and create space for energy to flow The, the essence of what you just said 
It's out of my presence and my agency and my love. I pay attention to a perturbation. And out of uh, the highest good, I take an, an action that richly represents to me an energy that breaks it up. Yeah. <laughs> so you could put a postage stamp on there and do it. Yeah, I love that. Thank you for that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and these do connect us to energies. You know, like, uh, uh, you, you know, the infinity does represent this, uh, this eternal energy. I think another thing to call infinity is worlds without end. Yeah. In other words, it has to do with the magnetic, electromagnetic reality of creation. It's not, et infinity is not eternal. Mm -hmm. See, the transcendent spirit is eternal. The, so, see, so it's a, it's a representation of the, the, the basic action of life. Okay. And so, so a perturbation is a distortion. Right. So in a sense, you're just saying, for the highest good, may love have its way. Mm. And you hit your tuning fork, because to you, that's it. Yeah. You, see? yeah. Oh, thank you. Well, just before you go, I have a couple more questions. And as we've been talking about your latest book, We Bring Love, and love will have its way. Thank God for that. We bring love, transcendental, leader, transcendental leadership. On the surface, people listening may have a lot of ideas of what, about what that means. And it's at its essence, Robert, what does that mean to you? What is transcendental leadership and why is it important? Uh, well... We need it. <laughs> I agree. It's a it's a time for it. See, so so um, we've had you know uh, in a we're kind of uh, uh, built this uh, consciousness on this planet. Where, where um, uh, we approach things horizontally, where you're trying to fix them, control them, you know, all many times with good motives. But uh, you know, like um, they'll pass some legislation, and and it has unintended consequences. It's, it's you know, like legislation. Oh, oh, the passing of legislation. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it wasn't a bowel movement. It was a... <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it was. But but see, and then there's unintended consequences because it's it's done from a certain, certain level. You know, like the Congress is jammed up right now because everybody's in their ego. Mm -hmm. they, 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 feel, they feel as good they're trying to do. But, but they're but they're seeing it from their perspective of their traumas, their energy energies, their their issues. Uh, 
So, so there's a, so with, with uh, the transcendence, and that's a, in the book with a very simple thing, that that's the simplest way to do that is in the remembrance of who you are. You're the one that brings love. Well, when that becomes paramount, when that becomes your engagement with anything, you see it from the perspective of the highest good. Mm-hmm. And so whatever you craft is going to be consistent and resonant with that uh, greater good for, for, the, for the whole. Because mm. that's that energy. So, so, so um, it's, it's being able to step above that and have that, per- for one thing, it's a per- perception. But the other thing, it's a, it's a way of being. So when you, when you approach life from I'm the one that brings love, you're a tran- transcendent leader. Yeah. Um, part of the keying into me it, with me is Emerson's statement of, you know, the, of the United States. This was his perception of it, that a nation will be created for the first time out of the wisdom of the soul. See, that's a trans, transcendent leader statement. Yes, for sure. See, so when we come out of that perspective, it's not Republican, Democrat, or anything else. It's, it's uh, what promotes the loving. What promotes the loving. Yeah, just like, just like laws can really go astray, mm-hmm. you know. But they have to be mediated by loving. So, so a transcendent, transcendental leader judge is going to be able to do variations on the law. Gosh, we need that. We need that because. <laughs> well, and that's the answer to your question. Why? Yeah. Well, we need this. We need it. So, um, so it's just how you approach it. Like when you do your work, the essential thing that lights it all up is your remembrance of yourself as the one that brings love. Yes. See, and you, you, so you, that's the most important thing to notice. When you want to do this technique or that technique or wonder what to do for this person is you remember who you are first and then you'll get the right answer. Mm-hmm. So you can't do it from a concept of love, uh, a list of loving actions or a belief about love or a philosophy about love. You can't do it from those places. You have to do it from the, from the existential experience of being the presence of love. Yes, yes. See? Yeah. And then you can just move. Yeah. Get going. Yeah. Well, forgive me for the very broad and general question to kind of tie this all up, but what is the greatest lesson that you feel has really... Um, landed on your heart in up to this point, maybe from John Roger or any other teacher or just simply from divine spirit? (laughs) Well, you know, so 
I've lived a while. <laughs> you have. And, and gone through different permutations of my life. And uh, the realization that kind of really brought that all into peace and perspective uh, uh, was that love will have its way. Like you asked early on, the dogmatic view of religion and the Christ. And see, so early on, I was puzzling about oh, God's will. You know, well, there's this awful thing. And like people would say, well, if there was really a loving God, why would he, why would it let this happen? Yeah. It's a good way to not take responsibility. Is there's, if there's, they had some involvement with that. Yeah. Well, in studying this and, you know, standing in the balancing and working with those energies and uh, working the civil rights movement and being exposed to people like John Roger and, and, and then that, that's when that realization that there was this uh, sneaky energy going around. Hmm. Like what Jesus said, I'll come as a thief in the night. Hmm. See, that's love having his way. I'll sneak in there. Because mm. I have to work around. I have to finesse all the bullshit you people come up with. <laughs> yeah. See? And, and this is the way to do it. Mm. So so uh, that's my uh, that's my research lens. Is how's, how's loving working through this? Mm. Uh, and what is that... Uh, that's the deepest motive within my being. Then I look at everything I've done, even badly, it was out of that pursuit. Well, love was having its way, but I had so many distortions in its way, I was hurting myself and others. Mm. See? Uh, yeah. So that, and, and uh, so, so, it's, so one event that that comes down to is I, I don't know if I talk about in these books, but anyway, I uh, I was in college. I was engaged this woman, and she broke up with me, broke my heart, and it was a pain. Okay, so that that becomes coded. I encode that as a thought form, yeah, of, and it has self pity in it, and and so. Fast forward a few years, I was sitting talking to a colleague uh, of mine that was also at Quimby Center, the mystery school. In fact, it was Ron Holnick. Oh, wow. And so, so we were talking, we were telling war stories about character building experiences. So that night it had to be with women we dated who didn't go well. <laughs> well, in the meantime, we did all this work of balancing and clearing. And so I, it's still as live today. My tension went down and out into my field, just out from my heart where that thought form was. And when I touched it, it exploded. Mm. It was in the presence of another person who was just listening unconditionally. We were in this dialogue and exploded in this, this uh, energy just exploded within of joy exploded and just went up through my body and took me into an ecstatic state. And it's so demonstrated. Oh my God, that's the, that's it. 
See, all pain is is blocked love that we've jammed up with some kind of belief. Oh, gosh. I love that. Yeah. Mm. This is like a canopy of great insight and just kernels of um, just seeds of, of goodness. I, I think I need to have you back on, Robert, because I have about 30 other questions to ask you. you. You ask tough questions. I do? Yeah, I really have to pay attention. Oh, oh gosh. Well, good. I kept you on your toes. I, I feel strange. Yeah, it's like, wow, these are like... <laughs> I don't like to ask the normal run-of-the-mill you know well so what if, what i have to do is get very present with what it is and see what kind of answer shows up <laughs> and you have oh and, <laughs> and i just want to say before we go i really appreciate just what you just said there the power of just allowing yourself to be present and that requires that you just allow the space by not talking and allowing just the presence to come in the, in the space of the silence. And I just think, gosh, we need more of that because we're always yeah. trying to fill up the space with words or, 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 you know, something to fill that void, that, that, that space. And <laughs> what if we didn't do that? What we could actually drop in might be just what we need. Yeah. It's like getting stupid. that gets smart. Yeah. Yeah. So. I, I get, I can relate to that. I tell, I tell a lot of my clients just be duh. Yeah. So if, if I get the least bit wrapped up in the idea of myself being interviewed, I'm stuck. Yeah. I, I get that. I totally get that. Well, Robert, God bless you. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. And um, is there any, it's great meeting you. It's lovely. Yes. This is just a treasure. And I'm going to listen to this podcast for my own selfish reasons, because there's so much here to just um, listen to and, and, and meditate on really. And I hope everybody feels the same. So thank you. Thank you. A million thank yous. Okay. Thank Yeah. God bless. Hey guys, thanks for checking out the Spiritual Decal Podcast. If you like what you're hearing here, check out more by subscribing on your favorite platform or go to spiritualgeekout.com. <laughs>